So we're going to do a sermon on anxiety. We live in an anxious age. Uh, Several years ago, uh, the World Health Organization, the WHO, did a global survey of anxiety disorders. And then they ranked the nations on how severe the problem is. And then number two in the rankings is Colombia, which has an ongoing civil war, narco gangs, kidnappings, widespread violence, social unrest. Okay, that's number two in the global ranking. Number one, according to WHO, is the United States. It's not even close, by far. Americans are the most anxious people in all the world. We are five times more anxious than the average Nigerians, even though Nigeria is a far poorer country. Americans have 14 times the per capita income of Nigeria. So what's going on? I don't need to give you statistics because we all feel it. Just the uncertainty of life. Everything feels like a struggle. There's just this constant uh, fear and dread. It's like in the air and we're breathing it in. People wake up in a cold sweat. They go to sleep at night worried about the future. And it's killing us. Um, It's this anxiety is this poison that we ingest every day. It's poison. And so today we're going to talk about the antidote. And in verse 7, Paul talks about the peace of God. The peace of God. It sounds amazing. So what is it? How do we get it? Let's read our text. This is page 4 in your bulletin. We're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 13. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of God. So here's the outline. I have three points. We're looking at the peace of God. So number one, what is it? Number two, how do we get it? And then number three, the secret of it. So let's begin. Number one, what is it? Peace is the opposite of worry and anxiety. Paul says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And uh, the Greek word for uh, anxious here is the word merimnao. It literally means to come apart into pieces. And so imagine that there's a vase. 
And because of tremendous pressure, the, the vase shatters and it falls apart into tiny pieces. And so it's describing what anxiety does to us. Because of the worry, because of the pressures of life, we fall apart. We, we become emotionally, psychically fragmented. But peace is a composure. It's emotional steadiness and stability. So that even in the face of trouble, you're poised, you're calm. There's this deep equanimity about you, like ballast in a ship. The storm is crashing all around you, but you're steady. And notice this peace happens not just in the absence of turbulence, right? It's not that the ship is steady because the sea is steady, but the ship is steady even as the storm is raging around you. Now, I want you to understand that the peace of God is completely different than the world's peace. Listen to uh, Jesus in John 14, 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, Jesus speaks about the world's peace. So, what is the world's peace? Well, you know, think about the images that you see in advertisements. It's a picture of somebody getting away from it all. They're sitting on the mountaintop. They're overlooking this beautiful lake. There's scented candles. There's serenity music. You know, it's somebody relaxing in the spa. They're in this sort of zen state, unruffled by the world. And it does seem peaceful, but it would only come if you remove the pressures of your hectic schedule only in the absence of trouble and turmoil. But what is the peace of God? Paul writes in verse 7, guard. He says, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now this word guard in Greek is a military word. And so imagine a garrison of soldiers protecting an outpost. It assumes you're in the middle of war. It assumes there's a battle raging around you. Listen to Jesus in John 16.33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then listen to this. In this world, you will have many troubles. And so this is a peace that happens not in the absence of trouble, but in the middle of trouble. And some of you are saying, how can that be? How can peace and trouble coexist? But it does. And until you understand this point, you will never understand what the Bible is is teaching on this point. Because listen, the world's peace is external. It depends on favorable circumstances. But the peace of God is internal. Paul says, guard your hearts and minds. It happens inside of you so that you don't need good circumstances. Let's remember where Paul is writing this letter. Paul is writing the epistle to the Philippians, not while he's sitting on some sandy beach sipping an umbrella drink. He is writing Philippians from a Roman jail. He is being interrogated and tortured. And then he has the audacity to say in verses 11 and 12, in whatever situation I find myself in, 
Whether I have been brought low, whether I abound, I have learned to be content. Do you understand how astonishing this is? Paul in verse 7 says, this peace of God which surpasses all understanding. He's talking about all human understanding. This is completely off the world's map. This is off the charts of any human philosophy. Now, there's another way, another way that the world finds peace, which is that you get cynical. You become jaded and detached from people. There's a movie called Reality Bites. It's the uh, quintessential movie of the 1990s, which is my formative decade, uh, starring Winona Ryder, Ben Stiller, um, Ethan Hawke. And uh, Ethan Hawke plays this character who disdains the world. He's like this super smart, slacker philosopher. He refuses to get a conventional job. It's beneath him. He has this vicious tongue that debunks everything, that sees the artifice in everything. And uh, when I was in high school, he was my hero. I was going through a lot of issues in high school. And uh, he is what I aspired to be, right? He was like my vision of what it means to be cool in high school. And throughout the whole movie, he literally just sits on the couch, scornfully, reading a difficult book, mocking everything and everyone, completely impervious, unperturbed by the world. But that's not real peace. That's a counterfeit peace. It comes from apathy. It comes from hardening your heart so that you don't care about people. It comes from, you know, there's no tenderness in it. There's no love. But the peace of God is not a peace that comes from detachment from people. It comes in and with deep engagement, and love of people. And let me tell you, when you love someone, you become vulnerable to suffering and agony. And you worry about them. And it's very strange. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 28, he says, daily I am anxious for all the churches. You know why he's anxious? Because he so loves the churches. He is anxious for them. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought peace is the opposite of anxiety. No. Peace is the opposite of self-centered anxiety, self-absorbed anxiety, where you're just worrying about your own life, you're just preoccupied about your own troubles. But it is not the absence of deep concern and deep interest in others. Because in the Christian life, peace and love go together. They strengthen one another. So let's review. This peace, this peace of God, is not the absence of trouble. It's in the middle of trouble. It's not a detachment from people. It deeply loves people so that their troubles become your troubles. And so notice, there is a lot of trouble. But then where do you get this peace? And the answer is, the peace of God comes from a deep confidence and trust in God's wise plan for your life. It is a peace that is based on his sovereign rule of the universe. So there's not a single molecule that's just running around amok. So that every event 
every second and every moment that happens is going exactly, it's falling exactly according to plan. So that all things are working for your good. Now often you don't understand the plan. It often seems like the plan is going off the rails. But you trust that God is working everything for his glory and for your good. And therefore, you don't need to know the exact details of how it all ends, of how the story ends, because you know the story will end well. Do you know why? Because God is the author of your story. And he's a good author. He's also an exciting author. And so there's going to be sudden twists and turns you didn't anticipate, but it's going to be a good and beautiful story. And so this is a piece that comes from standing on the firm foundation of the character of God. Everything else is in flux. Everything else is swirling around you, troubles left and right. But God is the unshakable rock upon which you stand, and that's why you're steady. Not because you have this steely temperament or just this very calm personality, but because you're rooted in God. So that's the first point. That's the peace of God. How do we get it? Let's get practical. And let me give you here some disciplines from the text, some practices that Paul gives us to cultivate peace in your life. And there are three disciplines from our text. Number one, we are to think. Number two, we should ask. And then number three, we are to give thanks. So let's begin. Number one, think. Paul says, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think. Think about these things. Now, this might sound kind of airy and flimsy, right? It sounds like Paul's just saying, think positive thoughts, watch a comedy, and you'll forget your troubles. But if you look at the word that Paul uses, it's actually something much more weighty and serious. Paul says you need to think if you want to have peace. And the word that he, the Greek word he uses is logizomai, which means rigorous thought. It's an intense mental activity. Paul is saying you need to think. The problem is you're not thinking. I had a, um, a friend in college who was really stressed out during finals. And uh, he felt completely unprepared. He's like, what am I going to do? And then one day, he happened to hear on the radio a song. It's Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it was really popular in its day, right? It's do, 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 don't worry, be happy. Do, 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 do. And he says that this song was like a revelation. It was like this answer from heaven. He said, that's it. I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to be happy. And then what happened next is that he failed all of his finals and he had to retake his semester. And so this, is a, this peace of God is not obliviousness. It is not ignoring your problems. So then what is it? It is putting your problems into context. It is thinking deeply about biblical truths, about the doctrine of God and salvation and 
the providence of God. It's meditating on the big questions of life, of meaning and purpose. Why are we here? Or to put it this way, or you can put it this way, you can either listen to your heart or you can talk to your heart. You can either listen to your heart and then you're just sort of carried along by the streams of all your troubles and all the problems of your life, like a little paper boat carried along by a stream, or you can talk to your heart. You can direct your heart to rest on the rock that is Jesus. And a great example of talking to your heart is Psalm 42. Listen to this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So that's the first thing we are to think. Secondly, we are to ask. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so if you want peace in your life, you need to go to God in prayer and you need to ask him for your needs. Because I think so much of our anxieties comes from this belief that we're on our own, that it all depends on us. And then we feel acutely this gap between the challenges we face and our ability to solve them. And we're functionally living like an atheist. And Paul is saying, you're forgetting God. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and Gentiles are people who don't know God, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, listen, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so Jesus is saying, my dear child, do you think that you are an orphan in this world? No, you are a child of God. And your heavenly Father, he loves you. He cares for you. And he has provided everything that you need. Not everything that you want. Not everything that you think you need but everything necessary for your flourishing and well-being and ultimate happiness. I love the way John Newton puts it. Everything is needful that God sends. Nothing can be needful that God withholds. Everything is needful that God sends. Nothing can be needful that God withholds. So we have to think, we have to ask, and then number three, we have to give thanks. We have to cultivate within ourselves a heart of gratitude. The natural bent of our hearts, just the natural orientation of our sinful hearts is to grumble and complain, and that just feeds our discontentment. But instead of complaining, we are to give thanks. And I want you to notice how counterintuitive this is. In verse 6, Paul says, we are to make our requests by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He says, as you are praying, you are to give thanks. Now, the timing of that doesn't make any sense. Okay, so think about it. It would make sense if Paul said, you are to, in prayer, make your requests, and then you are to wait to see if you get your requests, and then once you get your requests answered, then you feel thankful. But that's not what Paul says. He says that we are to thank God while we are praying, before we get our requests. Now, why should we thank him before? Shouldn't we wait to see 
what happens. And Paul says, you will never find peace that way. You will never find contentment because you're still basing your peace on your circumstances. But by thanking God before he answers, you're basing your peace on the character of God. You're saying, Lord, whatever happens, whatever happens, I trust you. I trust your wisdom. I trust your goodness. And I distrust my own judgment on the matter. So that if I'm asking for the wrong thing, or if I'm asking for the right thing, but at the wrong time, and your answer to me is no, yet I will praise you. I will rejoice in your loving care. You see, the world says rejoice in your job, or rejoice in your finances, or rejoice in romance. But the Bible says, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And that is something you can always do because it's not based on your circumstances. And so the key to finding peace in your life is you have to shift. You have to shift the foundation of your joy, of your well-being onto something solid. Now, how do we do that? Some of you are saying, well, it sounds good in theory. You just Is it an act of willpower? How do you actually do it. That leads me to the third point, the secret of contentment. So verse 12, Paul writes, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now this word secret is an interesting word. It's the Greek word mueo. It literally means um, something hidden from view. And it's closely related to another word that Paul frequently uses, which is mysterion, which can be translated mystery. Now, this word secret can be used in two different ways. Something can be a secret because it's known only to a select few, a small group of people, like a secret handshake or some top secret, you know, military secret. And it's very exclusive, right? It's limited in knowledge. Or, something can be secret because it was unknown in the past, but only now is it being revealed. And that second meaning is how Paul uses the word. He's not talking about like a Bible secret that you have to learn Greek, you have to go to seminary, and then you can have, have access to it. But this is a secret that was undisclosed in ages past, but is now being revealed. It's actually now being proclaimed all people. Listen to uh, Paul in Romans 16.25. He uses the word secret in the exact same way, and this helps us understand what he's talking about. Listen. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to, listen, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. And so what is the secret? Here it is. The secret of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was hidden in the past, meaning it wasn't so clear and explicit in the Old Testament, although there's hints and shadows but it's now finally being proclaimed to all the world. And so the secret to finding peace is to look to Jesus. 
Hebrews 12.2 says we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so we're to think about Jesus. We're supposed to meditate on him. That's how you get peace. Listen. This is not some trick technique of the mind. You know, where you sort of like meditate and somehow you're transported somewhere else. Um, the Princess Bride is a, is a book written by William Golding. It's a, my all-time favorite book. I have literally read this no less than ten times. When I first met Christina, I gave her the book. I said, you have to read it. If you don't like it, I'm not sure we can date. No pressure. She liked it well enough. Of course, uh, the book was made into a movie. which It's decent. It's okay. Not as good as the book. Um, but if you read the book, if you've seen the movie, you know the story is about the man in black. He's on the mission to save his true love, Princess Buttercup. But he's captured by the six-fingered man, Count Rugen. And then he's taken down into the deepest dungeon of the zoo of death. And in that dungeon, he's subjected to all kinds of terrible torture. His hand is lit on fire, all kinds of physical terrible things. But the man in black, if you've read the book, you know that he has all of these amazing hidden talents. He can scale impossible cliffs. He's the greatest fencer the world has ever known. He can outsmart the world's greatest military strategists. And so the man in black, he is able to survive the torture because he goes, every time it happens, he does this trick with his mind. He goes into a deep trance, and then he transports his mind. He, he lets his mind go to another place, and then he thinks about Buttercup, his true love, her auburn hair, her perfect cream skin, and then sort of entranced by this vision of her beauty, he doesn't feel a thing. He doesn't feel any pain. That is not what Paul is talking about. This is not some trick technique of transporting or distracting your mind because then only a very few people could do it. It would be this exclusive skill for the elite. What Paul is talking about is accessible to everyone. The secret of peace is to think about the gospel. So let's do that for a moment. Do you remember on the cross Jesus cries out in despair. And actually, um, what he says is so astonishing that all four of the gospel writers record it in Aramaic. Now, uh, this is um, a tip for reading the Bible. The New Testament is written in Greek. So everything that Jesus says, or everything anyone says, is actually translated from Aramaic into Greek. But there's a few times that what Jesus says is so noteworthy is so astonishing, so stunning, that the gospel writers preserve the original Aramaic of what Jesus actually said. This is one of those instances. He says on the cross, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which they tra- the gospel writers actually then translate for the readers into Greek. It means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this cry of dereliction by Jesus has always puzzled commentators. And the reason is because all throughout Jesus' public ministry, he's always poised. He's never anxious. 
You never see him in despair. He's never flustered, no matter how precarious the situation. But then at the cross, Jesus falls apart. He goes to pieces, right? He's, he's crying out in despair. You've never seen this before. Don't you see what's going on? On the cross, Jesus lost his source of peace. You know, all throughout Jesus' life, he was standing on the solid rock of the love of the Father. And this is why, no matter what else happens, you know, no matter what's going on around him, he's completely at peace. He's totally secure. But on the cross, Jesus became undone. Because the foundation of his life was ripped from him. On the cross, Jesus looked up to heaven. And the Father turned his face away. And he poured out his wrath and judgment on Jesus. So that on the cross, he fell into this infinite pit of sorrow and despair, the magnitude of which we will never understand. Why? So that Jesus could give us the love of the Father. You see, on the cross, Jesus lost his Father's hand so that he could take our hand and put it in his Father's hand. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now here's the thing. What I have just described, that is objectively, objectively true. It happened in actual history. And if you accept that, if you believe that, you will surely be saved. You're standing on solid ground. But the reality is, is that for most of us, that truth has yet to become subjectively real in our hearts. And that's why we're anxious. We're looking at the wind, we're looking at the waves, and that seems more real to us than Jesus. And so what do we do? We have to think about what Jesus did for us. And we have to meditate on it and meditate on it through prayer, through reading the scripture, until it becomes this shining truth in our hearts that your life is in your Father's hands, that nothing in this world can truly harm you, that everything is going exactly according to plan. And if you could read the story at the end, you would be so moved because it's the most beautiful story you have ever read. And it's your story of what God is doing in your life. And when you know that, to the degree that you know that, then you'll have peace. That's the secret. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we are an anxious people. We have troubles and problems left and right. And we know the answer isn't to be oblivious and to ignore our problems, but to face them. And, and actually our problems are necessary because we love people. We, we, these problems are threatening the things that we love. But help us to have a greater focus, a greater solidity of standing on the rock of Jesus, to know that 
He so loved us on the cross that he lost the Father's hands so that we might have the Father's hands. Let that be a source of a wellspring of peace in our lives that transcends all of our circumstances, that surpasses all human understanding. We pray this in Christ's name.